Turning your Bibles to Leviticus chapter number one, and you say already that is not a revival type passage. It is. It is. And as you find that spot, I want to tell you, you know, I don't struggle uh, with uh, Methodist praise singing or Baptist praise singing or non-denominational praise singing or hymns or contemporary music. Let me tell you what I struggle with. I've told you all I didn't grow up in church. But what I used to do is I would sneak over and sit outside of New Ephesus Baptist Church. Now, if you know anything about Person County, you'll know that it's a predominantly African-American congregation. And, you, you know, being totally respectful, they do music differently than us hunkies do it. <laughs> and I would, if that door cracked open, I'd take off. Usually I had a bicycle, not just get to the house quick. I don't know why. I, I was just, I didn't know how to go to a church, so, you know, it felt funny to invite myself. But you talk about the bricks would rattle in that place, they'd praise the Lord, boy. And so, sitting out there in that ditch, I had learned to clap on the second and fourth beat. And I started going to church with, with white folks after I came to the Lord. And if they clap at all, it usually ain't on beat, but if it is, it's on the first and third. And so I was the guy couldn't figure out how to clap it. I, I kept waiting for a spot to jump in. Looked like Steve Martin on that movie, The Jerk. I, I, I didn't have my beat. So I just clap on all beats now. People look at me like I'm crazy, but I have a good time and I burn calories. They took me to Golden Corral. I should have clapped. Y'all should have played 40 more songs. <laughs> well, praise God tonight. I want to talk to you guys about a couple things that I think are really important. If you're going to look at revival for your life, revival for your family, revival in your church family, if there's any hope, we're going to lead revival in our community. And those things are, you know, worship and sacrifice. See, revival doesn't come because you've decided to do better. Revival comes when the Spirit of God so sweeps through the people of God that we can't keep Him in. And, and, and we live Him out. And then what happens is because revival is happening in the church, people start to see God through us. We become deflectors of His praise and reflectors of His nature. And folks come to know God. All great revivals have not started because some slick-talking preacher gave a message. They have started because humble people began to worship God and to sacrifice to Him. So I think this passage is perfect. Leviticus seems like a strange place for New Testament believers to go, but there's a principle here left over from the days of the law that we need to learn. When the average person thinks of the word sacrifice, they usually think of something done for someone else at some cost to ourselves. We may think of it in terms of giving something up for someone else. You know, I, I'm a vet, so I can say this. You know, I think sometimes we praise vets too much. They're all volunteers and they get paid. How much of a sacrifice is that? Now, I know some of y'all got kids in the military. You, you mad right now. I told you I was going to offend everybody. I'm working hard at it. But they paid me in the military. I knew what I was getting into. Was it really a sacrifice? 
So I don't think of a sacrifice in the way that the average person thinks of it. And really, in the scriptures, they don't think of sacrifice in the way we think of it. They think of a sacrifice as giving something that's due to God. A sacrifice wasn't giving up what cost us, it's giving back to God what he already gave you. Huh, isn't that interesting? What did I tell you guys? And I mentioned it in one other message, Psalm 24, verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, and everybody in it. Look at your neighbor and say, everybody. So if you was to give your whole life to God, it wouldn't be a sacrifice. It'd just be, in the term, that, in the way we describe it in America, it wouldn't be a sacrifice. It would just be giving God what's already his. Remember that next time they pass them little bowls by you on Sunday morning. It ain't your mess, as much as you like to think it is. I was a free one, Herbert. Herbert bought me lunch. Tim Clayton bought me supper. What do you want me to preach on tomorrow night, Tim? <laughs> when the ears of a Jewish person that would have been hearing the words of Leviticus that I'm about to read, when they would have heard that word sacrifice, it would have held a much deeper meaning. The use of that word in the context of their everyday life centered on worship. Everything was about, about giving back to God because he was worthy to receive it. So a sacrifice wasn't giving something that cost us. It was simply returning to God what was already his. And when we get that concept of worship back in the church, when we stop getting this idea that, oh, let me go do something for God, puff my chest up. I'm cool. Look at me doing something for God. On your best day, what you do is give God back what's already his. Your life, your praise, the resources he's put in your hand. That's the sacrifice that God wants from us Jewish folks of that day would have immediately understood that sacrifice meant coming before God now isn't that interesting coming before God and the habit and the practice of coming before God is what God wanted to use to shape the nation you ever thought about where do we get the tradition of praying for our food three times a day or whenever we eat every time we well I love it I love it. You ever thought about the Old Testament laws? Don't eat this. Don't eat that. I swore him. God was right about one thing for sure, even for us Gentiles. Don't eat hog meat chitlins. <laughs> even a tornado come through and blow a whole house away and leave it plumbing. Herbert told you I graduated from person. <laughs> you'll show up, you'll see pipes sticking out of the ground. A tornado won't even eat that. That won't even in my notes. That was just from the Holy Spirit. <laughs> That's just for y'all. I tell you, wouldn't that be a great infomercial? You know how they have all these South Beach diets and stuff? Go on a Chitlin diet. <laughs> we'll ship you five-gallon buckets full every three days. You eat your fill. After about three days, I wouldn't eat nothing for six months. <laughs> Before I read this passage to you from Leviticus, listen to these words. Just listen. 
How many times we have disciplined hearing? Listen to these, these few verses from Amos chapter 5. There's four little verses. This, is what, this was God speaking to the Israelites about their worship. He says, I hate. Wow, that's strong, isn't it? I hate, I despise your feast. I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offering of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs. To the melody of your harps, I will not listen. But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. What did God think about their habit of worship? He hated it because it wasn't sincere. Now, isn't that an interesting question for you to begin to answer here this this evening? Is my personal worship sincere? And does it ever happen anywhere where someone isn't telling me what page to turn to? Is the worship of my family sincere? You know, I told you, man, I'm going to pick on you every night. Somebody asked me last night to pick on the women. I will, just wait. Here's one for you. Johnny Smith, they had a conversation about whether you should wear makeup or not. Johnny Smith was preaching one morning. He said, let me settle that. If the barn needs painting, paint it. (laughs) Y'all mad now, ain't you? But men, do do you have an example of worship before your family? You know, have you ever just stopped and listened in church on Sunday morning and noticed the the amount of women's voices ringing out and how few men sing? And singing worship is only where it begins, isn't it? How about worshiping with your giving? Worshiping with the way you work for your employer? What about worshiping with thankfulness? What about worshiping by what you refrain from doing? Singing's only the start, and it's easy to pick on because we're pretty poor at it. We ought to be able to make your paint peel off this room when we get together. So turn in your Bibles if you're not already there, or turn back possibly to Leviticus chapter 1, five little old verses. I'm going to preach on the whole Bible, but we're going to read five verses like I'm going to let you go early. Leviticus 1, verse 1. The Lord called Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When any one of you brings an offering to the Lord, you shall bring your offering of livestock from the herd or from the flock. If this offering, excuse me, if his offering is a burnt offering from the herd, he shall offer a male without blemish. He shall bring it to the entrance of the tent meeting that he may be accepted before the Lord. He shall lay his hand on the head of the burnt offering, and it shall be accepted for him to make atonement for him. Then, listen to this, church, then he shall kill the bull before the Lord. And Aaron's sons, the priests, shall bring the blood and throw the blood against the sides of the altar that is at the entrance of the tent of meeting. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are the bread of life, but if we are to come in and sup with you, if we are to get any of this, it's going to be because you've broken the bread and fed it to us. So open our minds, Lord, that we may have knowledge, open our hearts, that we may have faith, and Lord, move us, that we may respond to you 
And Lord, like the song you gave some saints says, revive us again. Revive the work of your hands, these your people. In Christ I pray, amen and amen. You know, ain't it funny? I hear tell sometimes that there was a, a church here in Person County who, who split one time over a sack of potatoes. And if you heard the story, don't leave here telling it. Ain't none of your business. Them folks is dead. I heard tell of another church that split over an argument over the carpet. Now, if you're from our church, you know what I call that, don't you? What do you call it? Hogwash. That's a Greek word. You go to seminary and learn that. <laughs> now, what if we had church? What if we had to have church like Israel had church? Bring your bull over here to the church and just, I want you to open his neck up and pour all his blood out and throw it all over the altar. Y'all wouldn't be arguing over the carpet then, would you? <laughs> I say, let's buy some red carpet, preacher. Good idea. This was tough stuff. You know why I think it was so tough? I think Israel needed to see that God was serious in the garden when he says, if you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, if you do it, then you will what, church? Okay, you, you can, you don't, it's okay to say die. You will surely die. Sin is ugly. Its consequence is fatal. And when there would be some atonement, some covering, some payment for sin, it was an ugly business. Can you imagine men coming to represent your household and having, before you leave, to either pick your best animal, whether it was a pigeon or a lamb or, or a bull, or, or to gather up your, your monies and going to find the best bucket of grain you could find or the best turtle dove. Could you imagine bringing that offering over to the church and opening its neck and pouring it out? Could you imagine having to do that? Maybe if we had that kind of sacrifice, we'd think a little deeper about sin when we commit it so casually. I tell you what, I wouldn't have wanted the job. I wouldn't have wanted to be a priest in them days. I really wouldn't have. Because if you go on to read all of Leviticus 1, what he tells them to do is take out their entrails and offer their entrails. That's guts, y'all. I don't even like skinning squirrels. We had a wino. We'd take deals and stuff to him. And woo, we just, you carry him a, a little bottle of wine, he'd skin stuff to the wine run out. Carry him a big bottle, you could kill stuff all day. <laughs> y'all know, y'all probably related to, to that guy, some of y'all. <laughs> could you imagine this being your worship, could you? Isn't it hard to imagine? Well, this is the message of revival tonight, the message that we need a sacrifice. And you say, but Tim, we're not under the Old Testament system anymore. We don't go by that anymore. You're right. Amen. So let me give you the most beautiful picture I could ever give you. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Who knows it? Sin had left a crimson stain. Amen. See, what we have in the New Testament church today, or what we're supposed to have, is a completely Christ-centered focus. We bring everything to Jesus. 
That's why we can sing that song, all to Jesus I surrender, all to him I freely give. Why? Because he's replaced all of those offerings. Y'all must have forgot the ground rules. So this message tonight is really for people who will hear what I'm saying. And what I'm saying is simple. Is your life Christ-centered? Do you carry your hopes and dreams to Jesus? Do you carry your, carry your problems to Jesus? Do you lay on Jesus all of your burdens and cares? Do you lay on Jesus your joys? Perhaps it would be helpful if I could give you an image. Imagine... I don't know how y'all, I'm kind of sentimental. I don't remember what grade it was, but the year Charlotte's Web come out, took us to the theater in the middle of the school day and let us watch it, Charlotte's Web. Anybody remember that? And I thought it was ridiculous that the star of the movie was a spider. We squished him things where I was from. But I fell in love with pigs. I just did. I have a little pig at home now, don't I, honey? It's a little pink pig. It's so pretty. Now, I never stopped eating bacon and sausage, but after Charlotte's Web, it was hard for me to help the family kill pigs. I just see Charlotte. Now, I don't know. I saw Bambi. That didn't work on me. <laughs> but y'all think I'm kidding, but the next couple of hogs we raised from babies, I, I loved on them. And when it came time to kill hogs, it was tough on me. It was. I said, oh, I don't want to do this. I remember my brother elbowing me going, you like sausage, oh boy. <laughs> Good point. Hand me the gun. I mean, <laughs> But imagine a Jewish man coming over and he's bringing his best. He's bringing his best bull or lamb. He's bringing the best thing he has. And can you imagine, do you, did you guys catch what he'd have to do? He would have to go over, and in front of the priest, he'd lay his hand on that, that sheep or that bull's head. And that was symbolic of all the sins of himself and his household being put on that bull. And then what this fella and his family deserved being sinners would be carried out on this bull. And they would make him strike the killing blow right there at the altar. Can you guys get the picture of that? It sounds grotesque, but it was a transference of guilt. It didn't solve the guilt. It was just an offering back to God for the guilt. Could you imagine that image and then, and then watching the priest begin to deal with this, this bull? And they take him to pieces. You can read all of Leviticus. It describes it in detail. I really don't want to do that. It is gory. And they were given very specific instructions. Do this with this part of his body and that with this part of his body. And what they were supposed to remember in that moment was that this bull is getting what you deserve. And so I beg you, church, if we would think on and have the hopes for revival, think on the cross. Think on every blow that Jesus received. Think on every insult. The Bible says they spat on him. Did you know if you spit on somebody today, it's an assault? Did you know that? Yeah. If you got chewing tobacco in, it's a brown assault. 
I'd like to spit some beech nut in that dude's eye. They assaulted Jesus with, with instruments. They assaulted Jesus with their hands. They assaulted Jesus with their words. They assaulted Jesus with saliva. And they assaulted Jesus with the tool of death in the cross and the spear. And if we're ever going to get revival, we need to begin rejoicing that Jesus paid it all. I want to tell you something. There's too much foolishness that goes on in churches today. I mean, sometimes I just want to go like, really? Really? I would like to like have some kind of like Spider-Man abilities and go to churches during business meeting and just be up on the ceiling, you know, clung to the ceiling. And when they vote on stuff that they ain't even looked in the scriptures and seen what God's will is, they hadn't fasted and they hadn't prayed, but they've argued, I just want to drop from the ceiling. Whoa! Be like, hold up, wait a minute. I need a cape, though. I just can't see me doing that without a cape. I mean, we just do all kinds of stuff. We, we come up with all kinds of ideas, and then we ask God to put his stamp on it. Say, it's okay, God, we're doing it. We run our household budgets like that. We run our homes and our leisure lives like that. Okay, God, I'm doing it. Say it's okay. Okay. That's why this bloody system kept Israel centered. That's why the cross and the empty tomb keeps the church centered. Unless we don't have a sincere heart. See, all the work of the cross is already done. Amen? The question is, do you have a sincere heart in your approach to it? That's why God would say through the prophet Amos, I'm sick of y'all's feast. The equivalent today would be God saying, I'm sick of your church services. I'm sick of your committees. I'm sick of your business meeting. And in Isaiah, God basically says, you make me want to throw up. See, if, if the scriptures are true when they say that God inhabits the praises of his people, then what we need is more worship and more sacrifice, and we'll get more God. So what will impress God? Will our money impress God? You know what? I had lunch with a brother today, and, and he is moved uh he, he used to live around here and he's moved back to where he's from and he's frustrated they just had a business meeting at his church and they just fretted over things and they voted this in and voted that out and and he says we have fifty thousand dollars in the bank and we've got a fifty thousand dollar cd that we could cash in and they're over there fretting over the preacher going $20 over his allotted mileage, and they voting whether he's going to get it or not. What? He says they voting whether we're going to continue supporting missions. When you stop supporting missions, you stop being a church. Our money doesn't impress God. Does our status impress God? Oh, we're the, I mean, you know, I don't know who this is. If it's y'all, just swallow it. We're the biggest church around. We give the most to that, and we give the most to the. 
You think any of that impresses God? Will your goodness impress God? No, our righteousness is as filthy rags. None of these things are going to please God. What pleases God? I'll tell you what pleases God. He said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. It's only Jesus that pleases God. So what, what do we need to do, church? What is our response? You bring everything of who you are and place it in faith on who he is. Transfer your guilt, your joys, your hopes, your dreams. Lay like, 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 like your hand on the head of a bull. Lay your faith on the name of Jesus, the work of Jesus. And watch God accept it. You guys know John 3.16. If, if you know it, follow along with me. For God, and I'll use King James, okay? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. I found this some time ago, and I don't know who to credit it to or I tell you, but I didn't write it. But it goes like this. For God, the greatest giver, so loved the greatest motive, the world, the greatest need, that he gave the greatest act, his only begotten son, the greatest gift, that whosoever, the greatest invitation, believeth the greatest decision, in him, the greatest person, believeth in him, ah, that's the greatest opportunity, should not perish, that's the greatest deliverance, but that's the greatest difference, have the greatest certainty, everlasting life, the greatest possession. You know what God wants you to do? You know what he wants this church to do? You know what he wants Mount Zion to do? He wants us to put our focus and all of ourselves right on Jesus. All of the work of the Holy Spirit is to bring you over to Jesus. And once offering yourself to Jesus, believing in Jesus, trusting on Jesus, he gives us access to the Father. And this great act should cause the church to fall down in humility and jump up for joy. And that's when you'll set your sails for revival. Because you can't just have services and make God get impressed with you and say, oh, we had services. We even got some denominations together. Praise God, we're so nice. No. All we can do, church, is set the sails and pray for wind. And wouldn't it be great if God swept through here? Wouldn't it be great? You remember reading in Acts 2 where the Holy Spirit came and they couldn't even describe it, could they? They said it was like a mighty Russian wind. They said it was like cloven tongues of fire. You know why they couldn't describe this mighty work of God? Because it was beyond human language, human understanding, and human expression. They said, wow! Here's one for the ladies. I always say that's how a woman got her name. First time man saw it, he said, whoa, man. And y'all know what the fashion was before the fall. <laughs> and church, this is the invitation. Jesus said, if any man thirsts, let him come unto me. Isaiah said, everyone that thirsts has come to the water. Maybe you're thirsty. Maybe you're thirsty. And maybe what we settle for sometimes is religious activity instead of sacrifice and worship. 
What do we offer? We offer to God what we have, and he says it's filthy rags, but in Christ Jesus I accept it. That's the only hope. Tim Bowes got a revival. I, I even laugh, Brother Herbert. People say, uh, heard you was, you, was, you was doing revival down at Teresa. I can't do revival. I'm just going to come over here and preach. Amen. God got to do the revival. I can't do it. So when they brought this offering, they were told to find one without blemish. Was there ever a perfect sheep or a perfect bull? No. In other words, you find the best one you got. Didn't that make the image of Jesus all the more precious to you believers? The perfect spotless lamb was finally offered. Amen. If you look in Leviticus 1 at verses 9 and 13 and 17, all those, those three verses tell you exactly what they would do with, the, with its entrails. I don't want to explain that. It's entrails and, and it's legs. It said you'll wash them with water and the priest shall, shall burn all of it on the altar as a burnt offering, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. See, that don't make any sense to me. All right, I want you to go get a cow and kill him and bring him over here and burn him up. Now, the rednecks, that sounds like a barbecue. <laughs> but God said when you did that, it was a pleasing aroma. You know what made it a pleasing aroma? Because they obeyed God. They followed God's prescription. Now, there's a liberalism around today that says what you need to do is the best you can. And that liberalism never reaches Jesus. And there's also a legalism around today that says, okay, great, you got Jesus. Now, ladies, put on a dress and all y'all get the right translation of the Bible. In the New Testament church, what they struggled with in the early days was people who would come along and say, great, you have Jesus, but have you been circumcised? Who would want to be on that committee? <laughs> so glad to have you at church. We have to check, you know. <laughs> I swore man, I... I'd pluck my eyes out if they nominated me for that. <laughs> See, all this is an issue of the heart. And isn't that what it all boils down to? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. The question is, are we sincere in our sacrifice and our worship to God? In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2 says, And walk in love as Christ also have loved us and has given himself for us as an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. They finally burnt something that pleased him. And we don't ever have to burn anything again. I went with a friend of mine one time. I was in the army and... Uh, he was Catholic, and, and, you know, don't write off all Catholics. That's just wrong. Somebody ought to say amen. amen. You ain't God. Just stop that foolishness. But he, I went with him to a Catholic church, and on the way by, we walked past a Greek Orthodox church. And, you know, we don't have one of those around here. And I said, man, I want to go to that thing. And he says, well, man, we'll go. Let's go. So he had to go see his priest. He got done with his priest. We come back by, service was started. He said, let's go. And I said, all right, let's do this thing. 
And, and I wasn't even a Christian. I just, it looked crazy. I wanted to go see what they was doing. Well, a fella come down the aisle swinging a box with smoke coming out of it. I just started breathing real deep. <sighs> My buddy looked at me and said, it ain't that. What was we talking about at supper, Brother Herb? You can't make your stuff up, can you? <laughs> you can't. Yeah, he said, he was also the same friend that was with me when the, when the man that looked like a woman said, I look nice. I almost got trictified. <laughs> I was like, hey, girl. <laughs> He's hitting me going, mm-mm, mm-mm. <laughs> And sometimes the enemy dresses this mess up and makes us think it's one thing and it ain't that thing at all. And God said, I'm sick of it. Thank God for the Holy Spirit who will come down and test our works and try our consciences. Thank God for the Holy Spirit. And tonight I hope he's probing out in this congregation. I know people are here from several churches. I hope he's probing out and probing into your hearts and causing you to ask yourself, am I sincere? Do I trust Jesus or have I trusted something else? Am I trusting Jesus or do I trust something else? Ain't it amazing how we reveal how we don't trust Jesus? Like we'll say, I believe Jesus can raise me from the dead and present me perfect before the Father. But preacher better come see me when I have that toe surgery. Because he's big enough to get me up from the dead, but he ain't big enough to get me through the little things. That's how we reveal that. Our theology is jacked and our faith is small. And our focus is really on ourselves. Jesus, according to Ephesians 5, 2, is a sweet-smelling savor to God. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 5, it says, In him is no sin. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 22, it says, Who did no sin. In 2 Corinthians 5, 21, Who knew no sin. In Hebrews 7, 26, it says, Who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 17, he says, This is my son in whom I am well pleased. If you have any hope of making God pleased with you, then you put your focus on Jesus. The Bible even tells you, whatever you do, do it as unto the Lord. I'll tell you something. One time I was doing some uh, uh, industrial safety courses, helping out through PCC, and I went and spoke to a bunch of waitresses about industrial safety. This had nothing to do. Any, anybody ever been a waitress in here or is a waitress? That's tough work. That's tough work. It, it, and look, by the way, if y'all ever send somebody saying happy birthday to me, I swear we're going to wrestle. <laughs> I just don't like that mess. Anyway, and they be saying, happy birthday to you. Oh, that makes me feel so encouraged. <laughs> but I went and spoke to a bunch of waitresses, right? And I, and I, and I had, a, you know, had a little thing I was going through. It was about industrial safety. It was about safety in the workplace. And I asked them a question that I never expected to answer. I got, I said, what is the toughest day for y'all to work and why? And I expected them to say, you know, something about uh, the days where, 
the workload was the toughest, but in unison, they laughed and said, Sunday. And I said, why? They said, all the churches come in here and they expect more, tip least, and are the rudest customers of the week. These evidences are the condemnation that proved to us that we got more talked than we got walked. When our worship is sincere, we come together and we leave more humble than when we came in. We're broken by the remembrance that I have nothing to offer God except what he's already given me, and that's Jesus. And that's where revival is going to be seated at Theresa Baptist Church. It's when we come to that conclusion in a fresh way. I got nothing to give you, God, except what you have to give me. I've spoken to this man one time this week, and I'll speak of him again. Vernon Wilkerson would ask me questions at work. I loved working with him, and I hated working with him, depending on what day it was. He was an on-fire witness for Jesus. And he would say, if you had to stand before God right now, what would you say? i say, I can't even say what I'd say. <laughs> but it was something like, uh-oh. But do you know if I had to stand before God tonight... You know what I'd tell him? I'd say, well, God, look at here. I'm sober. I've stopped beating people up. Look at me. I'm a pastor. I'm executive director. I got a beautiful wife, a semi-stable personal income, two minivans. <laughs> look at all the good things I've done. And God would say, pish posh. No, I can't even bring my accolades to him. If I don't offer him what he gave me, I have nothing to offer him. So why do we offer him so much that he wouldn't accept and refuse to place our faith in what he does accept? I mean everything. How you treat your wife or how you treat your husband, how you disciple your children. Put it all on Jesus because that's all God accepts. Every bit of what the Holy Spirit is doing, he is trying to put your focus on Jesus because Jesus gives us access to the Father. Yes, I said that once. I'm saying it again. I want you to believe it. So let me work toward a close in my second hour. What is this really about? It is a message of faith that leads to worship and sacrifice. This transfer of guilt from the person and the father and the family, the man of the house and his family, this transfer of guilt went by a laying on of hands. It was symbolic of someone who was innocent of something receiving...